this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. So maybe you remember the story from your childhood Sunday school lessons. At least that's where I remember learning about this story. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I loved this story as a kid. I think I loved it because I just really loved to say the words Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's from the Old Testament from the book of Daniel, and I've been lifting up these heroes of faith, some examples to us of what we can learn from these stories and these people who lived extraordinary lives through extraordinary times and what they have to teach us. And before I read the scripture for today, I want to begin by giving you Kara's movie version of the backstory so that you remember where we are in this lesson. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were Jews living in the land of Judah during the Babylonian exile. King Nebuchadnezzar had defeated the land of Judah. He had uh, sent them out, scattered the people, moved in his own people. It is sadly still something that happens today. If you can think a little bit about the story of Native American persons in our own nation This is something of the playbook of King Nebuchadnezzar did. And the people were scattered all over the land. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were a part of the noble court of the Israelites. And when they were lost the battles and they were taken over by King Neb, as I like to call him, King Neb brought him into his royal court. And so they learned a new language and a new culture, and they even got new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names. Their true names, their real names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their names. And these three are making it in this new political reality of their time. They are some of the king's most trusted advisors. But they run into a little problem. For example, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was hosting a feast, and all this wonderful food was put out, but it was not kosher. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego politely asked if they could be served just vegetables and water instead. And the king obliges, thinking it's sort of amusing that they're sticking to their old customs. But trouble comes in a new way when King Neb decides to build himself a 90-foot golden statue and to have everyone in his kingdom come to this dedication and that everyone, when the music played, would bow down at this statue. And of course, the music plays and everybody bows down. Oh, I forgot to mention, just in case you didn't feel like bowing down to the statue, 
King Nebuchadnezzar had this big fiery furnace going so that anybody who didn't bow down knew very well what the costs would be if they didn't. And so the music plays, everybody bows down to this statue, and there the three are spotted. The men now known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And word gets to the king, and he can't believe this, and he even wants to give them a second chance. That's how trusted advisors these three have become. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 this morning in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, and it will sort of pick up where we've been off in the story. And this is what it says. He says, now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the harp and the drum, the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you've set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind the three and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? And they answered the king, true, king. And he replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they're not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics not harmed, and even the smell of fire did not come from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Now these three seem like an obvious choice for our Heroes of Faith series. Of course, 
They seem courageous. They are courageous. When I was a kid, I think I thought the moral of this story was do the right thing and God will protect you. Do the right thing and you will be saved. But now I'm older and my faith is grown and matured and frankly, I think the moral of this story is do the right thing, period. <laughs> Stay true to the faith in your heart, period. Don't get me wrong, I think what God did that day in the fiery furnace and saving their lives is an amazing thing. One of those miracles that I can't even begin to explain. And even the fact that King Nebuchadnezzar feels like he sees a fourth someone in the flames with them is a hint at the God who never leaves our side. It's a truly amazing miracle moment. I can't explain it except to say that every now and again, God pulls back the curtain and we all get a glimpse at extraordinary. But you know what's also hard to explain in this story? How did these three men... Men formerly known as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah managed to keep standing in a crowd that bent down and worshipped at that idol. How did they do that? You know, home was a distant memory. Their people scattered, speaking a different language, a different culture, their faith community gone to the wind, years removed from it all, they didn't even have the same names. They had new names. Names are important, isn't, isn't it? Names are so important. In fact, I, I think of a story a family shared with me once um, their son had been their foster son since he was just a baby his whole life. Till 12 years old, he had, they'd been family together, but they had never actually officially moved towards adoption, even though they, the parents would love to have done that. They just were afraid of upsetting the status quo and the court system. They were, they were scared of navigating those waters, and so they hadn't pushed the issue. And then one day... When their son was 12, he just out of the blue said one night, I wish I had your name so that everyone knew we belonged together. Names are important. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. That's who they were. That's their name. And now they're living with new names in a new empire, in a new language. And they weren't in prison for their faith either. They were comfortable, more than comfortable. They're living in the king's palace. They are his trusted advisors. He probably considered them friends. Life was pretty good. And all they had to do, all they had to do was bow down. Can't you just... Hear what you would begin to tell yourself in that situation? Oh, yes, it says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. But, you know, there's nine whole other commandments that you can keep just fine. So maybe I would begin to say, you know, I'll bow down, but I'll cross my fingers. God knows my heart. 
Or maybe just to say, look, the, the pressure's too much. The stakes are too big. Life or death, God has to understand the situation. Or what about the age-old, every teenager's favorite excuse? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it. What's it matter? What's it matter? Maybe they could have told themselves that they've earned their spot, their place, they deserve to be there, and by golly, they would have to do whatever they could do to stay in that palace and in the king's good graces. Just a little thing, you know, just bow down. You know, I remember in psychology class learning about the pressure, the societal pressure, both known and unknown, of what we all feel to blend in as a society, to fit, to be like everyone else. The pressure is enormous in ways we're aware of and sometimes not aware. And I was thinking about this little one I remember talking about, about how everyone knows that when you walk into an elevator, you walk in and then you turn around and you stare at the door while you ride up. But just imagine if you walk into an elevator the next time with a crowd of people and just stand facing the back door at everybody and just imagine the stairs that are going to come your way. Or even stranger, be in that elevator by yourself facing the back wall and then have somebody walk in and join you. And chances are they'll stand facing the way you are too because we like that feeling of everybody belonging and fitting and doing the same thing. The pressure that these three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah faced, must have been enormous. Not only, not only to keep standing, but it was their lives. It was their very lives at stake. And I have always thought that it was pure courage, pure and utter courage that kept them standing tall. But I've come to see it differently. I think it was more than just courage. Courage is certainly a part of it. But I think what they realized is that for them, there were some things even more important than death. There were some things that were more important to them, like staying true to the faith of their hearts. It isn't that they wanted to die. In fact, they don't even make any promises to the king that they will certainly be saved by God. They just believed in their hearts that there were some things more important than death. And so they chose to stand when the world around them told them to bow down. And I've always thought it was courage, but I think it's bigger than courage. I think it's integrity. I think it's commitment, plain old commitment, integrity. Those words we don't actually even talk about too much. They stuck to their faith, the faith in their hearts, in a world that gave them new names. They stood with the faith of who they were, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and believed that there were some things more important than even dying. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately, about 
how even right now for us as a society, as a church, it sort of feels like we've all stepped into this whole new strange foreign world of church and life together. The reality of this pandemic is that we've been stripped of so many of our routines, our public practices of faith. Everything feels different right now. And in some ways, especially I think speaking for us ministers, it feels like we've entered this whole new foreign land and we're still figuring it out as we go. But I'm mindful that even when we had to shut the doors of our facility, that our faith was very much still alive. Lots of theologians and ministers smarter than me are trying to think about how this time, this pandemic, is going to shape the church of today and tomorrow People wonder if there will be churches that will have to close their doors through this time. People wonder if there will be believers in the faith that will walk away and never come back. Or will this time be a time to grow deeper and stronger roots to the source and strength of our lives? Well, I know which answer I want mine to be. And I know what I want my children to learn, that faith isn't something we just do when it's easy and convenient, that faith isn't something we use as some sort of of get-out-of-jail-free card that will give us a pass for many hard days or scary days. No, faith, faith is our compass. Faith is our true north. It shows us how to live, how to walk this life, even in the midst of uncertainty. And if we let it, our faith in Jesus Christ will shape all of our days, how we spend our time, how we use our gifts, how we spend our money, how we talk to people, how we tweet people, how we live. It has the power to shape all that we are if we let it. You know, uh, John Wesley, the founder of Methodist Church, he got a letter from a parishioner once that just totally amused me because in this letter, uh, this parishioner, she wrote to Wesley out of concern because she said that she felt like this spark, this zest for her faith that she once had she didn't really have anymore and she just um, wanted to know how to get that spark back and Wesley replies to her in the letter and the thing that amuses me is that he doesn't he doesn't really say oh you poor thing oh that's hard or we all have valleys of like that and this is a normal season of faith he doesn't do any of that stuff He simply writes back to her and says, Well, madam, you say that you wake up at 6 a.m. to study your Bible. Maybe you should start waking up at 5 a.m. And you say you go and visit the prisoners at the jail every week, but maybe you should start going three times a week. That's it. No hand-holding. No, I'm sorry about that. He goes straight to commitment. 
double down on your commitment to your faith. That's his advice. And I know some days right now, you might look around you and think you've entered some strange foreign landscape as we navigate this time as a community, nation, and world. And when you feel that sense of not belonging, I hope you will remember these three, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember their legacy, and don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you belong to. And if you let it, let faith be your guide. Let faith be your compass, because it will always point you towards home. Amen. Thank you.